Science Podcast. My name is Todd Bublitz, and welcome back to the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, or All Saints Sunday for the week of November 5th, 2023, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to begin this week's podcast, and before we even really get going, I got to explain myself a little bit, because I stated last week that I was not going to talk about the All Saints text this year, and when I looked at what the gospel texts were for this week and looked again at the All Saints text, I just couldn't say no. I just had to bring all of this together because I think there is some really great tie-ins. And I am really excited about this week because I think there is a great example to be able to bring this all together. And I think it helps bring out the point of what Jesus is trying to bring out in two different places. And I think it helps us understand in a better sense of what All Saints Sunday is all about and what Jesus is trying to get at when he's talking with the Pharisees, as you'll find out when we get to those points. So before we jump into this week's podcast, we have to look at last week's question, which was, how do you care for your neighbor? How do you love your neighbor? And we got some great responses. First and foremost, one of our loyal listeners responding with talking about how when he was a child and talking about how when he was researching for things, when we were talking about the depths of the ocean, that there was expectations in the late 60s that there was nothing below 50 feet. So it was super awesome to be able to see just how far we've been able to expand our knowledge and expand our growth since then. But this person also then continues on with talking about how being mindful of people who are especially with young children, especially are trying to figure out how do they put their cart away in the parking lot when they're unloading and having the kids in the car. And I think it's one of those things where it exemplifies the honest thing of being observant. And I think in a world in which we're in where people are faster to pull a phone to record something than necessarily processing what it is, is a problem that we need to, as a society, as a world, need to continue to work on, thinking about how do we actually respond and work together in something. So I'm thinking this time around, let's jump into the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost text, and then we'll jump into All Saints. So we'll try going through these. There's a lot of text to go through, so let's get through these real quick for once. So we start with the alternative Old Testament text coming from Joshua chapter 3, verses 7 to 17. Remember where we left off with this story last week, and that Moses dies, and now the mantle of the prophet is being laid on Joshua. And so what we have in this text is almost this showing an outward appearance of how Joshua is following in the footsteps of Moses. And this is done by that they are going to be crossing the Jordan, and as they are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they are able to cross on dry ground, and thus being able to see and leaving their enemies behind that this is still what God has been promising. This is what God has been doing, and he's been driving out their different enemies out of the promised land that finally the Israelites are getting to that land. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 107, starting at verse 1 to 7 and then going 33 to 37. This is the reminder of the love and what God is willing to do for the people and remembering in the first parts of this all the different trials and tribulations that the people went through and yet God was still there to be able to deliver them through that. And then it can picks up then when we get to verse 33, again, the idea of how 
all these different times when things easily could have gone wonky and gone the way where the people could have just deceased, God continued to be there. God continued to steer those people. God continued to get them to a place where they were able to sow fields, plant vineyards, and have fruitful yield, coming from verse 37, that they were able to get to that place, that they were no longer nomadic. They were able to get to a place of habitation. The other Old Testament text is out of Micah, chapter 3, verses 5 to 12. This is, again, some difficult text that Micah is having to give as a prophet, but it's the recognition that all these things that are distracting us from God, that are causing the leaders and the different people and rulers of the people at this time to be gone astray, that God will be able to take over and God is in control. God will make sure that there is a way. And thus, we have to trust in that and not be veering to these other ways of living. Again, the people of Israel being captured and being looking to other leaders. And it's this message of, no, we need to continue to keep our eyes on the Lord. We need to continue to recognize and look at that this is going to help us go where we need to go, that God's going to be able to get us there. Then for that text, we have Psalm 43, all five verses of it. And this is then some liberation type of psalm that vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. For those who are deceitful and unjust, deliver me. This idea that God is going to continue to be there, even as they are going through trials and strife, that they're there to be a light, to bring joy and to show the joy of the Lord to these people, but yet still trusting that God's hand is in all that and to not dissuade them, but continue to be with them and help them through that. The New Testament text, the epistle text then that goes with this, is 1 Thessalonians, starting in chapter 2, going from verse 9 to 13. And this is then Paul reiterating to remember the days of when there has been trial and strife, when things have been difficult, that in doing that, we are called to continue to encourage one another and not necessarily hold blame against each other, but to look to uplift one another and that we are this community of God in the community and looking at the kingdom and giving thanks to what God is continuing to do for us and working together as a body of believers to do that. The gospel text then this week is out of Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 1, going through verse 12. Jesus is with the crowds and starts bringing up the Pharisees, that these scribes and Pharisees are in places of leadership, but yet what they teach and what they practice do not line up. That there's a lot of things that they are saying that we should be doing and that they're not doing it. They are more worried about who they are and boasting themselves than necessarily what is actually going on. They love the honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and being greeted with respect in the marketplace and to the people who call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi. You have one teacher and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth for you have one father, the one in heaven, going from verses 6 to 9. So this idea of how we need to continue to be recognized and humbling ourselves, not be boastful and getting arrogant with who we are. Starting at verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. So this idea of not getting full of themselves because of the position that they're in, recognizing that God is really the one who is in control, that we are being a mouthpiece for that. 
So let's quickly go through these All Saints texts, why don't we? The first reading this week is out of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, starting in chapter 7, going from verse 9 to 17. So you have the multitude of angels and all the tribes of people, all these different people bringing salvation as it states in verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who is seated at the throne and to the Lamb, the angels and elders and everyone who is giving glory, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power be to our God forever and ever, amen, coming from verse 12. And so then there's this addressing of, Who is this? What are these? And it's the recognition that these are the angels and in that they hunger no more, they thirst no more, the sun will not strike them, nor any scorning heat. For the lamb is at the center of the throne and will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Verses 16 and 17. This recognition of all the needs are provided and God is then doing the fulfillment of what God has promised. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 34, the first 10 verses and verse 22. This is then playing into what we see here in the Revelation text, that we are singing the praise to God continually, that our soul is boasting about God. We are recognizing that we are magnifying who God is. We are answering the prayers and recognizing that God is doing all this, that this is a radiant God. This is one that our soul gets poured out to because God is there in our troubles. He is helping us through all these different things. So this is a time where we then magnify that name and recognize that in that, that God is constantly there and God is going to help us through. The second reading this week then is out of 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 1 to verse 3. I'm just going to read this. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that we do not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Recognizing that we don't have all the answers, we don't know everything, but we recognize in what God has done for us through Jesus, that we have been made into new creations to reveal who God is. And thus, when we have been purified through the blood of what Jesus has done for us. The gospel text that goes with this All Saints Sunday is from Matthew chapter 5, the first 12 verses. And this is the blessed section, not the woe section, just the blessed section. When Jesus sees the crowd, he went up to the mountain and he sat with his disciples and he began to speak with them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A lot of great things to be able to get into. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug for 
Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast or commentaries or discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some direction, look at new things, think about things in a different way. And so if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Stephen Library. I really enjoy how they lay out the text week to week, but I also really enjoy how they have prayers, liturgical colors, hymns, a lot of different ways to actively participate and prepare for worship on a week-to-week basis. So, if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. Finally, I'd highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. These offer ecological echoes, implications, urgencies, looking at the lectionary text each week or a newsletter that kind of lays out the whole month and is able to show different events that are going on in the upper Midwest region, but also bringing in all these different commentaries. I will be writing for one of these later in the year, and you will find out probably in that why I do podcasts, not necessarily a ton of writing, but I am really excited to be part of this, and I'd highly recommend if you are spending a half an hour each week being part of this, follow that first link in the show notes down below and sign up for this. It's a great resource. I really enjoy it, and I'd highly recommend taking a look at that and seeing how others are seeing how God is working out in the creation. It is hard making sure that when you are in leadership positions that you do not have your ego take over, that you do not pump yourself up, that you do not get full of yourself. Let's be honest. It's something that we all wrestle with. It's our human nature that we struggle with because we like having that recognition. And that's what we hear out of the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, out of this Matthew 23 text, is this recognition that we have the Pharisees and scribes who are in leadership positions, being able to put that as a forefront of who their character is, making sure that that is the forefront of who they are and that that is a very important title and then thus you should respect me likewise. And when we compare that to the All Saints text, recognizing all these people who are going to be recognized, the peacemakers, the pure in heart, the merciful, hunger and thirst for righteousness, the meek, the mourning, the poor in spirit. These are the people, the ones who revile you and persecute you. These are the people that God is striving after, going after. And as I was thinking about this and trying to figure out a science tie-in, when I came up with an idea of someone who the more and more I looked into them, the more and more exemplifies this. And I know this is a person we've talked about before, but I don't think we've talked about this person to this level. And I think we need to be able to go to this level to be able to understand how amazing this actually is. And the person this week is Gregor Mendel. So let's go through a little history of Gregor Mendel. Born as Johann Mendel on July 20th, 1822 in what is the Austrian Empire, modern-day Czech Republic, he was born to a farming family, and they were probably expecting him to be a farm kid his whole life. They didn't have a crap ton of money, and in that, at age 11, one of the priests-slash-schoolmasters comes to them and says, your son is a really bright kid. It would be really good if we were able to have him go through more schooling. So in 1834, he was able to go off for more schooling. Now, Mendel struggled multiple times in his life with mental health things. There's many times where as he's going through these education, he kept having what we would probably say now are having like mental health episodes of going into depression, times where he even had to return home. But he did graduate in 1840 and continued on to university in 1843 and was able to graduate from there. 
At that point, he wasn't entirely sure what he was wanting to do, but Abbot Franz Cyril Franschak Knapp, so Abbot Knapp, was able to recognize who this amazing person was and say, how about you come into the monastery and we'll give you some opportunities here. Now, we have to understand that Abbot Knapp was very much in the idea of leading his monastery in knowledge to wisdom and supported a lot of scientific endeavors. So in doing this, he sended him initially to teaching in 1849 in a small town and was doing well, but then Austria decided to change the qualifications. This is where Mendel kind of froze up again and some of his mental health issues came up. So he wasn't able to qualify for teaching and that's where he then went to the University of Vienna. While there, he was able to take science courses and in the two years there, he was able to take physics from Christian Doppler and also biology from Franz Unger, who was part of this whole idea of hybridization. Now, at the time, how we were understanding basic genetics is if you took, say, a black squirrel and a white squirrel and they bred, you would get a gray squirrel. And at some point, the genes go back and you would get, again, this normal they called it, and you would get again a black squirrel and a white squirrel at some point in the descendants. At this point and how this was being explained, Under was kind of seen as anti-church. Now, you're probably wondering, how did Mendel then all figure this all out as him being part of the monastery, being a monk at this point? It was stated in some of Mendel's writings that he really didn't feel like he was called to the church. As the quote goes, my circumstances decided my vocational choice. So he then kind of felt that he was being pushed into this field and it was a way for him to continue his education and continue doing this thing. So in 1854, he decides to go back to the monastery and comes up with this idea for a hybridization experiment. He first talks to Abbot Knapp about a mice experiment. He kind of shuts that down. So then he moves to peas, and starting in 1856, he starts an eight-year process of looking at peas. And as stated that he was quite surprised that no one had done this type of hybridization experiment at this time. From what we can see from his papers, he did probably worked with over 30,000 plants over this eight-year period to be able to look at specific traits, to be able to understand what we know as the basics of genetics and being able to start with what we now know of Punnett squares and things of that nature. The traits that he looked for was the shape of a seed, was it round or wrinkled? Was the seed green or yellow? Was the flower color white or purple? On the pea pod, was it wrinkled and constricted or was it full and plump in the pod? And was the pod green or yellow? And then also the flower position, was it axial, so more toward the middle of the stem or terminal toward the end of it? And what was the size of the plant, small or large? And so there must have been some process to be able to get where from his cross-pollination, figuring out how to get plants that were every time coming up purple and every time coming up white, say in flower color, and being able to cross them and start to understand what was going on. And this is where he gets the moniker now of the father of genetics, being able to understand how we have dominant and recessive genes, or as he called them, factors, to be able to look at which was going to be expressed. And if you remember from your basic genetics course that you probably took, from your parents, you get two genes, one from your mother, one from your father, and your father has two genes and your mother has two genes. So it's the random assortment of which one are you going to get. Based off of these genes, 
Some are dominant, some are cold, some are recessive. In this case, Mendel got very lucky that all these factors were off of one gene and that were dominant recessive. And so he was then able to take all this work and put this stuff together. He probably didn't fully grasp the depth of what he had actually done. In fact, in 1862, he did read Darwin's Evolution of Species, but didn't necessarily make the connection that this is certifying what work he has been doing. He had a small science community, a society that they had formed. And so on February 8th, 1865, he presents this paper called the Experiments in Plant Hybrids. And the group thought it was actually really great and thought it was actually pretty monumental. They published a book in 1866 and even translated a copy and sent it to Darwin. But people really didn't take off with it. They thought it only applied to plants. There really wasn't that much going on. And Darwin is quoted in 1866 stating, I knew the results I obtained were not easily compatible with our contemporary scientific knowledge. And so it was a hard sell for what was going on. And on top of that, Mendel didn't do a great job at necessarily advertising himself. And due to some circumstances, things even made it harder. In the summer of 1867, Abbot Knapp died. And so the monastery was looking for who is going to be the abbot, the person to lead the monastery. And the monks came up with the rest of them that Mendel should take over. And that was kind of the end of Mendel's scientific career. He really didn't have a ton of extra time to be able to put toward scientific discoveries. He was working with different aspects of the monastery. But as he was nearing the end of his life, he is quoted in stating one of his letters to one of his friends. My scientific studies have afforded me great gratification, and I am convinced that it will not be long before the whole world acknowledges the results of my work. And it seems like more Mendel just wanted some type of acknowledgement of what had happened, that this wasn't just completely being forgotten. Because again, he was stating this change in how people were understanding how genetics worked. And granted, the words weren't even there at that point. Mendel dies on January 6th, 1884. And it wasn't till 1900 that he's really rediscovered. There's three different people who all do similar studies to Mendel. And people are looking through and it's like, no, Mendel did this and are blown away at that point after his death that, wow, this is really monumental work. And he becomes then seen as the father of genetics. There has been a little bit of controversy with him that Ronald Fisher brought up in 1936 that the data that Mendel had was too good to be true. It's too perfect statistically. But one of the things that's kind of given a little bit of grace in this is when Mendel's working, there isn't necessarily hard and fast scientific rules. So there's probably some things that he threw out as outlier data or for whatever reason, different things, and that weren't necessarily recorded as well. So it's one of the things that has been a kind of a side thing of this, but it's this aspect that Still, he is looked at as this is the beginning of us being able to understand chromosomes and being able to understand the DNA process of this is the foundational point. And it's one of the only scientific fields that we can really draw back to one person being able to start the whole movement moving forward. How does this fit so well within these two different texts for two different reasons of a Sunday? I think it 
exemplifies it great. Mendel didn't go out of his way really that hard to advertise this stuff. He's fulfilling what he feels is expanding where the science was at the point and even recognizes that the results of what he got are so far ahead of it's hopefully someday people will be able to recognize it, but I'm not going to lose sweat over it. And in fact, he's just more recognizing at the end of his life that hopefully somebody finds this important at some point. And this recognition of hopefully where we kind of get that the conclusion of that within the Joshua text, how the Israelites have been, hopefully we'll get to the promised land here at some point, and Joshua fulfilling that. Micah being able to recognize that there are a lot of things to pull you astray, but yet listening to God and trusting that what God's going to do, trusting like Mendel that at some point people will discover what I did and find it important, but I'm not that concerned about it. I enjoyed what I did, but I have other things that I'm needing to do now which is just such a different way of looking at things. And when you're looking through the Matthew 5 text, meek, the poor in spirit, the pure in heart, the peacemaker, there's a lot of these characteristics to me that I hear in what Mendel was doing and the things that Mendel was prioritizing and seeing that that was more important than necessarily pushing his own work, even though his work had gotten published in a small local journal and his society was essentially like a gardening club that he was presenting what he had figured things out. And yet now this is one of the people that's laying the foundation of what the whole genetics field is all about. I think it's one of these things where it's a good recognition recognition of what is life about. And it's this recognition of, yes, we're trying to grow and understand more about God, understand more about God's creation, but understand in that, that there are times God's calling us to different places at different times, and we aren't going to necessarily understand why. And there's going to be times when we suddenly abruptly have to stop. Eight years of data, eight years of work, and then abruptly he suddenly moves on and never is able to return back to what he was doing. I think there's a point where we all hope that we are recognized in some form or fashion, but I think it's also then this not being obsessed about it. I know for me and myself personally, I hope this podcast gets more traction at some point. And I hope and I hear things occasionally from people who are stating how it is really helpful or it's really powerful or they really enjoy it. Trust me, I really do enjoy getting those emails. It really helps me continue to move forward. But I also recognize that this isn't purely about me. This is really about what God and how God works in my brain to be able to bring these different things together. In fact, when I was in college, I was the weird biology student who wanted to not go pre-med. I wanted to be a field biologist and discover all the stuff and not make the money. To be able to discover all these different things, to be able to help people or help us understand things where somebody else will probably get more of the credit, even though that maybe I was the initial to observe it and say someone needs to do more research on this. That's what I really wanted to do. And now I see this as where I'm at, I'm doing it in a different way with doing this podcast week after week, and I really still enjoy it. It's really fun to find the challenge of trying to bring these texts together week to week. But I think I also have to be able to learn from someone like Mendel that Maybe I won't ever see the big success from this. And that's okay too. That's not the point of what this is all about. The point is being able to have us better understand and see who God is. And being able to use this as a way to connect us more personally with God. And seeing outside of maybe what we traditionally see God in, in this church religion standpoint, and seeing it more in this creation scientific way can be liberating. And I think there's a lot for us to remember 
of, yes, there's a time to stand up and fight for things, which Mendel still did in his life and had amazing support systems to be able to encourage him to keep going to school, to be able to encourage him to continue researching and looking into things. But I think it's also the aspect that we have to be okay with knowing that there's sometimes amazing things that we're going to do that maybe go unnoticed in our lifetime, and that's okay too. It's amazing that Mendel laid the foundation for literally over a hundred years after of scientific discoveries, and initially they didn't even recognize what he had found. And in a certain way, there's an artistry to that. We hear it within the art community and how there's a lot of artists who don't get recognized for their work until after they're gone. And so in a certain way, we can say that here with Gregor Mendel, that his artistry, his work, wasn't fully recognized until after he was gone. And I think then that brings us to the question of the week, and I think it's twofold. One, how do we stay humble in our world? And two, how do we recognize artists and important people around us before they're gone? Because I think both of those are so important, especially as we are in this All Saints Day of recognizing the ones who have come into the faith and the ones who have gone to the next part of the faith that we here on earth don't necessarily fully understand. We try, but we can't fully grasp it. And I think that's a major thing that I continue personally to work on is trying to go through and thank and acknowledge these different people who I've looked up to and have made significant impact, but I still am not able to get to all of them nearly as much as I should. And I think that's where it reiterates us showing love and care when we're around people but also recognizing that some of the most powerful people in the room are not necessarily the ones who are speaking. And I think in a world that's a lot of noise and a lot of chaos, I think that's something that's really good for us to remember and to recognize. Because we all need that reminder to slow down. We all need to be able to do the tedious task of something for over eight years to be able to understand the genetics and how pea plants work and their different traits. But in that, we are able to discover so much more. And I think that's sometimes maybe something that we miss in this modern world that we live in. That we're so used to go, 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 that it's hard for us to recognize sometimes the power of tedious work to help us understand something that's greater than ourselves. And when we are trying to understand how to not be arrogant and to be meek, to recognize the saints who have gone on before us and to acknowledge the new that are welcomed into the family of God and to be able to follow in the footsteps of what God has been laying out in front of us for us to do, whether it's Joshua leading us into the promised land or us being called to love and care about each other even when our enemies are hard, I think that's a difficult and tall task. And I think then it means us sometimes taking a stop and reminding us of some of these different, what I would say, modern saints. And in my case, I think within the faith and science, sainthood. I'd like to put Gregor Mendel on the list, because I think that's what Gregor Mendel did. And I think in a lot of ways can show us and teach us a lot about what this faith is all about. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.